RadioInfluence.com. Why crush it? It's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We got a really big show today as we kick off a three-part series looking at our 2022 theme of organizational and team performance. It's such a big topic, and it's going to take all year to certainly cover it all. But early on here, we're starting to see some trends in the idealism and the framework of what it takes to truly put together a performance organization and a performance team. And I'm really looking forward to these next three weeks. If you guys want to get in touch with us, any questions, comments, smart remarks, reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. And on all other social media platforms, search out Crush Performance and we could hook up there. All right. Well, listen, three big shows coming up. All looking at our theme of organizational and team performance. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Jean Cote from Queen University. And we're going to talk to Dr. Cote about organizational performance, but from the grassroots level, from the foundations of development. Where do top performers come from? In business, you might think of the traditional pathways of getting through high school, winding up at Harvard or Princeton or Wharton School of Business, and then going on to tack and conquer the business world. In sport, you might think of coming out of a great high school academy into a college environment, getting into the pro or Olympic levels, and then going on to carve your path through the sporting world. In music, you might take music at junior high school, high school. You might join a local band. You might hire a music teacher outside of school. You might be in a music academy, go on to Juilliard or one of the great international schools of music. But regardless of your passions or your area of expertise, everybody has to start somewhere. We're going to talk to Dr. Cote today about what that developmental pathway might look like and are we doing it right? We'll talk to Dr. Cote about setting up environments and developing relationships that can help people achieve and prosper. We'll look at perception and competence, how people perceive the information they're getting and how they deal with it in the setting they're in. And also, we'll discuss with Dr. Cote his personal assets framework and transformational coaching and leadership. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. And then next week, we're going to talk with crush favorite Dr. Jacques Delaire, president of Performance Prime. We'll look at high performance cultures, high performance team cultures, and all that goes into creating that environment once again, to where teams and the individuals within those teams can be successful. Dr. Delaire spent a lot of time in the motorsports world. We're going to talk to him about some of his experiences in F1 and NASCAR and how much time and effort they put into creating team and team performance, breaking down each position and the technology that goes into it. It's a fascinating conversation that, of course, resonates well beyond motorsports. And one of the big things that we love about Dr. Dallaire is his focus on the individual and helping the individual deal with pressure, anxiety, and stress. We're going to talk to Dr. Dallaire about how you can eliminate it as long as you have the right approach. We'll discuss that approach, and we'll also look at self-evaluation and why we have it all wrong. When it comes to self-evaluation, We're just really not that good at it. We're 
we're all out of context here. So we're going to break it down into its components. We're going to understand the difference between self-criticism and self-critique to very, very important perspectives. And we're going to put it all together to help you become the best teammate and maybe even the best leader you could possibly be. And then the following week after that, we're going to talk to performance coach Phil Toll. Phil Toll has been accredited as being one of the key players in keeping the band Metallica together. In the early to mid-2000s, the band was falling apart, and they were on the brink of just tearing apart, never to be together again. Well, they hired performance coach Phil Toll, who came in and brought the team back together, got them talking about the important things that the band just never talked about. Lars Ulrich, who is the band's drummer and one of the founding members, just right around the time that some kind of monster came out. That was sort of the time frame, 2003, 2004, 2005. When Phil came on board and they sat down, uh, Lars was heard to say that, you know, the band has been together for 20 years and never had they had a conversation about how they're feeling as individuals, their individual goals and objectives. They just didn't talk about it. There's very little communication outside of just rock and roll. So Phil came in and really brought that band together. And there's even testimonials from the band members today. So we're going to talk to Phil about some of the strategies he used to bring that band back together and not just help them heal and get back together, but help them plot a course for future greatness. They are now officially better than ever, in my humble opinion. And that is unbelievable for a band of that caliber to keep on trucking and keep producing like that. So we'll talk about building teams, the importance of leadership, and maybe even most importantly with Phil, let's talk about the idea of self-perception. Because I think that's one of the things that really brought Metallica back around. And that's something that Phil's really, really good at. So early on here in the year, as we tackle this massive theme of organizational and team performance, there's been some really early trends, if you've noticed, in some of the conversations that we have. And a lot of words that have been popping up, words like culture, things like chemistry and environment, uh, and the focus on the individual and the individual character and how all of those things are really, really important when you're trying to create team and organizational performance. Isn't it fascinating that everybody we talk to about this, it all comes back down to the individuals in the organization. Now, somebody has to steer the ship. So I think leadership is going to be a big, big part of this conversation as we move forward. But when we try to get a grip on what it really takes to put together a successful team and organization, we're learning that it's really multi-layered. It certainly is. And I think early on here, one of the main questions is, is there an ideal process for developing team and organizational performance? Well, I think the idea of environment has to come into play here. But in all the research that we've read and everything that I've looked at over the years in terms of talent, talent ID, talent development, the one glaring commonality is the individual, people, 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 people. Now, don't get me wrong. You have to set up the framework in which those people can operate and prosper and do their job. But we have to make sure, one, we get the right people into the organization, and then we have to make sure the right people are in the right place in the organization. And then we have to keep them engaged, motivated, and moving forward as a unit. That is truly something special and why we're really trying to crack down on what it's all about. I can tell you right now, 
there is no one pathway to greatness as an individual, as a team, or as an organization. You don't have to go to Harvard to be successful in law or business or medicine. Harvard can certainly help. There's a network of people there, and they do have a process of teaching that is most certainly quite effective. But there are great doctors coming from everywhere, just like there are great athletes coming from the four corners of the earth. Some of them are coming from super modern, high-tech environments that leave no stone unturned in terms of technology, athlete analysis, and long-term development. Some are coming from the backcountry and dirt roads of Africa and South America with no technology or very little resources at their disposal. So it can happen. I think the common denominator that we should be focusing on is what does it take to be a high achiever? Right. And there's been a lot of research done on this. One of the great ones in terms of talent and talent development was done by Benjamin Bloom and Lauren Sosniak in the early 80s. It was called the Development of Talent Project. And their research and findings really helped steer the mindset and approach for future research, but also the strategies and the implementation of those strategies in learning and high performance environments. And what you might not know is that a lot of the research on talent and talent development came out of the music world. They also looked at the culinary world, chefs. They looked at grandmaster chess players. Some of it most certainly sport. Sport is so measured. It's actually a really good place to analyze sport and sport development over time because we are starting to track young athletes as early as 8, 9, 10 years of age right now, which, by the way, is insane and wrong on so many levels. But we have all this data that makes sport a really, really easy target for research on long-term development. But Sosniak and Bloom did something different. They took 120 exceptionally talented subjects under the age of 35 from all different areas. They looked at concert piano players, sculptures. They looked at world-class and elite swimmers at different age groups. They looked at tennis, mathematics. They looked at research in neurology as well. And what they did is they had all these categories and they tried to pick 20 top performers in each category. The idea was to look at irregularities, patterns, and the histories of these people to shed some light on how exactly expert performance was achieved. And when they broke down all their data, they were actually surprised, not so much at what they did find, but what they didn't find. When they went into this, their hypothesis was that these young, gifted people were all sort of from birth predestined for greatness. They didn't find that at all. They didn't find any special gifts or qualities in any of the subjects they looked at. So what did they find? Well, they found no unusual promise at the start, no intention of working towards excellence. All of these top performers under the age of 35 really showed no promise early on to be high performers, nor did they show any interest in actually becoming high performers. Very, very interesting. But they also found some other very interesting trends. As these young people started to develop and gain some interest in certain areas, they found that more mentoring and encouragement led to greater performance, which led to more support, which led to more interest. And we got this self-fulfilling prophecy. So the teaching, the coaching, the mentoring was a critical part to the development of every subject they looked at. After this particular research project was done, Benjamin Bloom was quoted as saying, we thought we'd find exceptional kids, but what we found instead were exceptional conditions. And as the subjects grew older and matured and 
their interest levels peaked a little bit, the number of hours they put in was also elevated above normal. But that's not what really caught their interest. What caught their interest was how they spent that time. There was a very small amount of time spent on formal instruction, only about one time per week on average. But outside of that formal instruction, they were jolted by the multiple and overlapping arenas in which time was spent learning under instruction, of course, but also under free play, observing others and just performing on their own. The one thing that they deemed most important when it came to developing high performance individuals and outcomes was passion, passion that was developed over time. Now, keep in mind, if you remember back when this study started and when they looked at their subjects early on, there was little to no aptitude for high performance sport relevant. They just didn't appear to be high performers, nor did they have the interest. So what happened over time? I think they got into an environment under the mentorship guidance of teachers, coaches, and supporting parents that when they did start gaining some interest in an area, they had the support that allowed them to foster that interest and really get after it. And we know what happens when an individual, when a human being starts getting good at something, it can be addictive, right? Now, I don't know if any of you golf out there. If you do, and if you're good at golf, I bow down to you, <laughs> right? Listen, I do dabble in golf. Actually, I enjoy the sport quite a bit, mainly for the challenge. You wouldn't think that hitting a little round white ball down a massive field of green grass into a small hole at the other end would be so hard, but it is. But we all know what happens in the game of golf. You get one good drive. You get one good chip shot. You land and sink one 40-foot putt out of a million, and the game has you. At least it does for me. It keeps me coming back. And I think that's what happens. If we can create environments and give our young people exposure to a lot of different opportunities, team sports, individual sports, okay, different arts and crafts, music, um, drama, sculpting, uh, sciences, math, the chess club, the debate club, whatever, as many experiences as possible, and we just watch. Where, do, where does their interest get peaked? And is it because they're good at that? Or is it because of the people that are in that environment, right? Is there a good teacher there that connects the dots well for them? Is there a great group of other people there that they want to hang out with and who inspires them to get better? Look at the gaming community today. You know, here's an interesting thing. My nephew, Call of Duty, League of Legends, all these games the kids play. Right. I, I am not. I come from the era of Atari and television and Coleco football. Right. <laughs> the handheld games. Uh, but I do enjoy watching these new games and the esports that have come out now. But my my nephew is really good at it. And it has been enlightening uh, watching him play and compete all over the world. But here's an interesting thing. The guys he plays with, some of them are local, but the majority of them live in different countries. But when they get on to play their games and they get together on their team to take on other teams, these kids are phenomenal. So when my brother asked my nephew, hey, who are your best friends? Right. He's just trying to, you know, he noticed that uh, he was spending a lot of time down just gaming and really getting concerned that he wasn't out being social. And my brother said to me, you know, I, I have to recalibrate my thinking. It's a different age than when we grew up and we're hanging out with our buddies all the time and at the ballpark and skating, and playing hockey and and these kids are still playing sports like, you know, he still plays soccer and skis and does a lot of cool things. But he got into the gaming thing. And, and my brother said, I got to recalibrate how I think because uh, they're out there. They're being social 
in a new way that didn't exist when we were kids, right? And so when he asked my nephew who his best friends were, you know, he said, oh yeah, you know, Jake and Zach and the guys who are local here, they'll come over and crash at the house and stuff. But a couple of guys that, that Jay had never met, my brother had never met. And he goes, well, who are these kids? Well, one's in Texas, one's in, you know, I don't know, North Korea or wherever the other kids are that they, that they play with on their team. They got this solid team that's ranked fairly high in the world. I mean, you know, it's incredible to watch these guys play, but those are his best friends. And so what my brother did is they got together with the family uh, from the boy from Texas and they flew him up here for a while so they could actually meet face to face and they're still buddies. Isn't that interesting that my nephew got into a group that he'd never met in person before, but he just likes working with these guys. And I think that's a big part of it. And that goes back to this idea of organizational and team performance. You got to have people that are not necessarily like-minded. Maybe they have different skills, but they all got to be on board with the purpose of what we're trying to do, right? I think if everybody's like-minded, you lose a lot in terms of a performance environment. So you got to have different thinking people, but they all got to have the same goal and objective. And that has to be the goal and objective of organizational success. And everybody contributes in the quest to achieve that, right? That's what it's all about. I think that's where we're going here. Well, listen, I'm looking forward to today's show. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk with Dr. Jean Cote. Let's get down to the fundamentals, back to the foundations. What do we need to do to create those environments that spark that interest, that get people fired up about being good at something? We're going to get after it right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around, everybody. Get the Crush blog, podcast, Twitter, and Facebook links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and let's get after it. We're kicking off a three-part series dedicated to our 2022 theme of organizational and team performance. And to get us started, we are joined by Dr. Jean Cote, professor of psychology from Queen's University. Dr. Cote, thank you so much for joining us. We know you're well into your sabbatical down in sunny California. We're a little bit jealous about that. I'm not going to lie, but so glad you could join us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, great, great to be on the call. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so glad we got you here, Dr. Cote. Uh, one of our overlying themes for this year on the radio show is organizational and team performance. And, you know, it's easy to talk about maybe the professional teams and why some teams are great and why some organizations falter. But it's another thing to look at maybe the big picture here. When we go up and, and look at where do athletes come from? Where does health and wellness come from? Where does success come from? And when we talk about the sporting world, I can't help but but maybe focusing and having to talk about grassroots and youth development and everything that goes on there would would, would that be a fair assessment on your from your perspective? Uh, definitely. You know, when you think when you think about performance or engagement in sport, uh, you know, we tend to point out one variable, but it is it is a combination of variables that interact together and that are integrated, and that's what makes makes a good a good sporting environment, and that's what leads to. To positive outcomes, so 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 you know I think you you you've got a, a nice topic here. It is an organizational approach, and it is the integration of many different factors that produce positive outcomes. So we're we're well into the Olympics as we record this interview, and it has been fascinating to watch countries like Norway and Finland, Sweden. You know these smaller population com- countries really really dominating sport. 
And, and uh, you know, just just, you know, talking to people I know in Norway and people who have been around uh, um, that their, their sporting organization and their society as a whole, they don't seem to put a lot of onus on on performance and performance outcomes, especially at the youth levels. It's all about participation and fun. I wonder over here in North America if we have a tendency to focus too much on performance and being your best and outcomes. And, and I wonder if that's debilitating when we look at the big picture of just overall participation and performance at the end of the, in the end of the game. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what's important to, to look at is, is there's a bit of an overemphasis here to think about the long term and to think really to think about, okay, I have a 10 year old and you know, I want them to be good when they're 20. Well, that's fine, but between 10 and 20, there's a lot of things happening, and there's short-term and immediate outcomes and immediate experiences that the kids to have, have to have in sport before they move on, before they, you know, and, and to keep them going. So it's really important to think about outcomes in terms of different timelines, and, and, and I think you need to, we need to be able to provide, you know, to think, to think like a kid, you know, to, to think like a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old and what do they need out of sport and really talking, you know, trying to combine those outcomes, those, those immediate positive experiences and accumulate those experiences. And this is what happened over time that leads to, to, to long-term positive, you know, performance or engagement or participation. So, so to me, I think the big, the big thing here is to create those experiences at a young age that that will get the kid interested and that will get the kids engaged so that they can just keep going and sometimes they're not the best experiences for the development of skills you know but they're the best experiences to keep them motivated and interested and i think we need to build environments we need to build relationships that really emphasizes those uh those 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 points and those characteristics Oh, I really, yeah, I really like that perspective. Dr. Cote, you made me think of, um, of, a of a story of something that happened to me about three or four years ago. Um, I was helping out a, a tennis program and the coach was dealing with these very, very aggressive parents. And, and again, parents with the greatest of intentions, they wanted the absolute best for their young daughter who was 14, 15, I believe at the time, but she was a fantastic player and she's on track for the junior world junior titles and all this sort of thing. And the coach was sitting down with these parents, Dr. Cote, and the parents are going, listen, we, we, we watch Serena Williams and we want our daughter training like Serena Williams. And the coach was sitting mm -hmm. and the coach was sitting there thinking about, okay, how do I respond to this? Cause he had spent so many years with this young tennis player and she's just a great young kid. And, and he was genius. This is what he said to the players or to the parents. He said, well, listen, I, I agree. And I, your daughter is, is, you know, kind of, you know, showing some incredible talent along those lines. Mm -hmm. But if we were to train her, like Venus Williams is training now, we would probably set her back so far. So how about this? How about we go back and look at what Serena Williams looked like when she was 14, 15 years of age, and maybe sort of find some parallels there. And, and he said, the parents just had to sit there and think, right. They're going, huh, that kind of makes a lot of sense. You know, we have this big rush. We have this sort of 
peak by Friday yeah. attitude where we want to rush things along. But I thought you just made me think of that incredible story and how that tennis coach handled those, those parents who with the greatest of intentions were probably pushing their, their young athlete to levels that she just wasn't able to, to handle at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that, that's such a, it, it is a great, it, it is a great story to, to, uh, to illustrate the points. And, and, and I think, you know, the the one thing in that story too that becomes really important is we tend to think a lot at the in the immediate environment to think a lot about uh, skill and 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 how do we develop skills and and you know and and very often like more and more what I'm what I'm seeing and what I'm noticing in in, in youth sport environment is really the ingredients that need to be there is is the relationship. And, and, and kind of how you create a relationship that will get the kids to keep going, that will get, get them excited and interested in, in, in sport. And it's those social kind of relationship that really makes a big difference. And when you talk about country, you know, small countries, you know, and we did research on small cities, I think, I think the factor that comes out of all this is the type of relationship that are in place. And and there, there's no focus on you know, this is what you need to be or this is what you're gonna be into. You know, it, it's a lot about feelings and connection with each other, and 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 feeling good in the activities. And that's what we need to promote in youth sport. Yeah, no, I really like that. We're talking with Dr. Jean Cote, professor of psychology at Queen's University. Dr. Cote, you guys and your 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 group have done a lot of work looking at youth development and 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 uh, framework for that. You guys have come up with a, a really interesting model that I absolutely love. It's called the personal assets framework, and it kind of revolves around what you've been mentioning already. You know, the the right setting, getting the right t- right activities, but that very important yeah. word of relationships. Uh, that personal assets framework is really, really uh, putting some perspective into how we're operating at the youth organization level. Yes. Yes. And, and, and basically what the personal assets framework is, it, it, it's just a framework that, that kind of um, illustrates the variables that are important in sport. And, and basically what it is, is that sport, you know, when you think of sport, if somebody comes from space and, and never seen sport before, and you have to explain it to them, you do an activity. It's what you do with who and where. So those are the three things. You know, you're involved in a game at a place. You know, you're in, in, in Edmonton or in California. You're playing baseball or you're playing hockey. So there's an activity and there's a place. And that place is, could be, you know, in Canada or in the U.S. or in Norway. Or, and then there's relationships. There's relationships with a coach and, and, and individual sport, team sport. There's always relationship with a coach or so that's sport that's what it is so at its most basic level sport is what you do with who and where uh and then and then we need to think about okay what is the best activity for a 10 year old you know is it play is it practice is it doing different sport is it specializing in one sport so that's the activity component so if you just take this a very simple concept but there's a lot of layers to, to the activity component of, 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 of the framework. Then you go to setting and you say, okay, the setting, you, you could be in Edmonton or you could be in California or you could, could be in Norway. You could play on an ice rink. You could play outside. You, you know, there could be an audience. They could, and then you're part of a club and you're part of a bigger city and you're part of a country. So all those 
again, are affecting the experience. And then finally, the with who, you know, it's the, the relationship. And there's a relationship with your teammates, with the coach, with your parents. There's relationship with others in the community. And then there's relationship with organization and clubs. So again, a simple thing, sport is, is simple at its most basic level, but it adds a, a lot of complexity if you look at all these components and the layers that affect the experience of, of, of someone doing sport. Yeah, I really like the analogy of somebody coming down from space who's never seen sport before. How do you explain sport? You know, that that's going to have me think I might lose a little bit of sleep over that one because that's a big tale. But this is a really nice model. And, and when you talk about, you know, the settings, the activities and the relationships, I think that is just a real great way um, for organizations all across the country and all around the globe to really sort of break down what they're doing uh, to get an outcome. Dr. Cote, do you think this is something where we maybe need to just take a step back and take a breath and maybe maybe reverse engineer this? Maybe try to, you know, in the models of the personal asset framework, you know, one of the things that everything leads to is the outcomes. If we maybe really define those outcomes or decide what we're trying to accomplish, then we might be able to really, really help everybody, you know, get an idea of what the settings, activities and relationships should be. Does that kind of make sense? Exactly. And, and you know, if, if you follow the model or the outcomes, I think one one very unique thing that we and, and we talked a little bit at the beginning of the of the interview is that we, we look at the outcomes on different timelines and, and you know, right. the, the, the integration of what you do with who and where. So you go and have a hockey practice in Kingston. You know, so so you have your hockey practice. The kids get out of the hockey. You have an immediate experience. So this is a real time experience. That hockey practice is repeated over time. You know, in a season, in a three month season. So those experiences that you get every day, they're they're either positive and you come back, but it leads to the development of some assets. So at the end of a three month season or four month seasons in hockey, you develop better competence. You shoot better. You you skate better. But you should also develop better confidence, higher level of confidence in your ability. You should develop connection with others. You know you should be able if you have a good coach, if you have a good program, you should develop a better relationship, and you should develop character. So integrity for the game, understanding, learning how to win, how to lose. So those are the personal assets over a single season if you have a good sport program that should be developed. And those are the four Cs. So competence, confidence, connection, and character. So again, it's the accumulation of those individual or weekly experiences, you know, in games and and, and practice, sure that at the end of the year, you should have an increase of competence, confidence, connection, and character. And then in the long term, over multiple seasons, you're going to develop performance, personal development, and participation. So, so to me, what coaching is about is that in a single season, you should develop competence, confidence, connection, and don't worry about anything else. You know, if it happens, then you're going to have certain kids that will go to the Olympic or make it to the professional, but all the kids will have those assets that they could apply in other aspects of their life too. So this is where sport becomes very powerful. 
Yeah, and also some kids are ready physically, emotionally, and mentally to receive some of those messages at a certain point in time, maybe before some of their peers, and some of them might not quite be ready, but those who, who, who aren't ready right now might get those messages you know, down the road and really connect those dots down the road. So that's another important factor here is that diversity in the maturation and development of the athletes you're working with. Exactly, and I think it goes back to you know the activity. So, what do you do as a coach to 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 create experiences that will be positive? You know, daily experiences, weekly experiences. The, because, and, and then then you need you need to go back to like those those you know the setting, the activities, and the the social relationship that would be appropriate for every kid on your team, and that would lead to those positive experiences. Then the four C's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah, I really like that. We're talking with Dr. Jean Cote, professor of psychology at Queen's University. Dr. Cote, do you think we're kind of maybe turning a corner here? You know, uh, if we think about if we think about just this big flywheel of sport, whether it's in Canada or in the United States or Norway, um, you know, uh, we we. As coaches and organizations, as parents and leaders, we sort of influence our youth. Our youth sort of carry that message, whether they like it or they don't like it, and they carry it on onwards. But we've got this big flywheel of development. Do you think we're turning a corner here in terms of how we're addressing sport? Because I think I think, you know, if if so much so much of this relies on the shoulder of the coaches. Like, and, and I think right now we're starting to get these incredible models like the, like the personal assets framework where we can actually help guide coaches, maybe coaches, moms and dads who are volunteering, guiding these coaches into this framework of, of how they should be acting when they coach. This could be powerful down the road because now the kids that go are, are, are going through that um, experience that timeline with these more advanced coaching philosophies, they're going to understand maybe better how to coach their kids down the road. So the flywheel keeps on turning. Do you think we're kind of at that turning point right now? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we are, we are, when we talk about it, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I travel around the world and give some talk and, and people, you know, I've been working with Singapore and, and Sweden and, and Norway and, and, you know, and they take the personal assets framework and they use it in their coaching system and, and it's applied. And they, uh, so, so I think people understand it at the level of, you know, listening and talking. I think it's a, it's a bit of a different story of what's going on in, in, in the real world. You know, when, when the kids are, are actually practicing and, and, and we see that there's still a lot of old school kind of coaches that don't really look at sport as an activity that really focus on the, you know, you should be focusing on the development of the person first and the athlete second. So, so, so I think there's a lot of research to support what we're talking about here. Uh, but when we go and watch sport, you know, and I don't want to be negative. I think, I think it is happening and there's pockets of, of their sport organization that are taking it seriously and that are trying to apply this work, uh, but but I think there's there's still a lot to do, and, and and the problem to me I think is 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 very often it in youth sport we just think about the outcomes, we just think about the long term and what we need to accomplish, what they need to do now so that they're better in in, in 20 years or, and, and I think the last thing I want to say is that there could be a little bit of an overemphasis on skill development. You know, and, and, and I think we need to understand sport that, yes, it is about skill. You know, 
hockey and, and tennis and, and basketball, you need to have those sports-specific skills. But sport is a lot more than that. And, and, and I think, you know, you, we see a lot of professional athletes that don't necessarily execute the skill perfectly, but that they're, they're, they're at the top of their game. So, so the whole idea of confidence and connection and character are really there as a reminder that sport is more than just executing skills, executing sports skills. And, and there's a lot more to that. So I think as a coach, we need to train coaches. We need to make sure that coaches understand that and that they get the tool to build better relationship with their athletes. And, 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 and not just that sport is not just about teaching the back end in tennis or the forehand or, 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 you know, offensive strategy or defensive strategy. It is a, a, about interaction and decision making. And there's a very important word out there that we're hearing from kids across the lands. Uh, this word called fun. <laughs> it's it's got to be fun, too. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. For sure. Definitely. Well, yes. it, hey, you it, know, and, and that. Yeah. Sorry, in your model, you know, you have you have when you talk about uh, focusing on relationships from the leadership perspective, you, there's a really great framework that you guys have developed talking about leadership behaviors. It's not just about the what it's about the how, which is kind of what you're talking about here. But but again, that goes yeah. back to supporting our coaches and just helping them understand how they talk and how they deliver the messages is all powerful, right? And the types of leadership that you're going to use for certain athletes is also very important. And I think that's a really important part of the model you guys have developed. Definitely. And and this is kind of the gear of the the the, the, the social relationship and the social dynamic. And and you know, I think I think when we talk about effective coaching, there's three types of knowledge that coaches need to have. There's they need to know about their sport. That's the professional knowledge. Then they need to uh, to know about the person that they're coaching. The That's the interpersonal. And then the other one is intrapersonal, the reflection that you do, you know, on your coaching. And, and if you want to become an expert in any field, you need to be able to reflect. But what what's going on in coaching development, coach training, is that there's a lot of emphasis on the professional knowledge of coaches actually telling coaches how to coach, you know, and, and I think I'm not devaluing that. It's very, very important that if you're a basketball coach, that you, 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 you need to run practices, you need to make drill and you need to, but the interpersonal aspect, you know, when you talk to coaches, they all tell you, Oh yeah, yeah. It's very, very important. Then they, 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 you know, I know we're on the radio now, but they go like, yeah, quotation mark. It's very important. You know, enter, but they're soft skills, and then and then they kind of move on to something else. So so I think what we did is we tried to really provide or, or come up with a vocabulary that would allow us to talk about interpersonal skills, effective interpersonal skills. They are not softer skills than any other skills that people have, and they're skills that you can learn. You can learn how to care about other people. You can learn how to listen. Some people have that more. And this is what we call transformational coaching, transformational right. leadership. You know, the transformational leadership framework is, is a framework that has been used in a lot of different disciplines, but we've adapted it to coaching and we observe a lot of coaches and came up with 11 behaviors that coaches should display to really connect with their athletes, to really create relationships that will make athletes perform better and, and, and stay engaged in sport. So we've developed that. And, and I think now it gives us a bit of a vocabulary and words that we can use 
to say that, okay, well, this is individualized consideration. You know, you need to show vulnerability as a coach. And, and all these things, suddenly they make sense. And, and coaches can talk to each other about improving those relationships, improving those interactions with athletes. So I could talk a lot about transformational leadership and transformational coaching. I don't think we have the time right now, but but uh, but it is a framework, I think, that that has a lot of potential to help coaches really focusing on what's important in sport. Yeah, Dr. Cote, when it comes to the personal assets framework, there's so much powerful, powerful thought that's gone into this and, and great points. I really like the idea, just maybe in summary here, I, I, well, you know, it's just powerful what you said, you know, the idea of the process where coaches help athletes become leaders by focusing on, focusing on the personal assets, those, those four C's, competence, con- yeah. confidence, connection, and character. But in transformational coaching, you guys have broken it down into, I think, four dimensions that really, really makes it understandable. Idealized influence, inspirational motivation, intellectual stimulation, and individualized consideration. Those four pillars can really help uh, coaches, whether they're volunteer coaches or elite coaches at the highest level. This is relevant across the board when it comes to sport, uh, but those four dimensions are all powerful if you can really hone in on those. Yes, yes, and, and, and I think this is exactly the vocabulary that I'm talking about. You know, if, if a coach goes in and asks a question, so, so you know, you can you can teach a skill, and you can you you're on the soccer field, and uh, you know you can go to an athlete and say, this is not you know, look at what you did. You you hit the ball, you made a pass, and it went on the left. What's wrong with you? You know that's instru- you know, and and then you need to hit with the with your foot straight or whatever. Or you can go in and say, oh look, the ball went on the left. What's going on? You know what what do you think happened? Can you think a little bit of a way of making it go straight instead? So. What I, the two, those two examples are instruction. You know, that's the what. But the way I deliver the instruction is very different. My tone of voice, and, and I don't know if I showed it very well in this example, but the tone of voice, the emotion that I'm putting in, and the words that I'm using. So the second example, when I ask questions, what do you think we should be doing? That is intellectual stimulation. So suddenly you can link behaviors or words of the coach to one of those four I that you just described. You know, if, if a coach, coach asks a question, that's intellectual simulation. If a coach go to an athlete in, in, in training and say, uh, well, I, I understand you had an exam yesterday at school. How did it go? Well, this is showing interest in athletes' feelings and perspective. That's individualized consideration. And that is something that we know has a positive effect on relationship and interaction. So again, trying to look at behaviors and words that coaches use and putting them into the transformational leadership framework, the four I of transformational leadership, really helps us to understand effective interpersonal behaviors. Yeah, no, and that 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 example you gave there uh, was all powerful. Just the context of that, I can I can uh, sort of get flashbacks as me as a young athlete getting feedback or comments from the coach. And there were good coaches who really encouraged you and framed, framed the feedback up, whether you, whether I did a great job or I missed a play, um, it, it, it totally turned it around as opposed to being chastised and, 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 and mm-hmm. criticized. It's just all powerful. Dr. Cote, such great work, you know, for everybody out there, the transformational, um, um, 
um, personal assets framework is is online. You can check it out. We'll add some links there. But I want to thank you for all the work you've done. Thank you for taking time here in your sabbatical to do this interview. I'm really looking forward to continuing this discussion, Dr. Cote, over the course of this year as we sort of crash down on our theme of organizational and team performance. This is where it all starts, I'm telling you right now. Thank you very much. That was great. Okay, there you go, everybody. Dr. Jean Cote, professor of psychology at Queen's University. What a fantastic conversation. And I think it hit everything we were hoping it would hit. You know, when we talk about that personal assets framework, when we talk about transformational leadership and coaching and how powerful it is in helping the people around us achieve their potential. And there's a lot to unpack here. Let's do it right after the break. we got to cut up. But when we come back, we're going to look at everything we discussed here with Dr. Cote. And we're going to set up our next two episodes of organizational and team performance right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. If you have any performance questions, comments, or smart remarks, text Crusher at 101260 and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, here he is, the Crusher. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Hey, listen, if you have questions, comments, smart remarks, reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. All right, we are crunched for time today. What a fantastic conversation with Dr. Jean Cote, professor of psychology from Queen's University. There's a lot to unpack here. We'll attack this a little bit more next week because we're so out of time. I just wanted to let that conversation with Dr. Cote just roll on because there's so much more we could have discussed. But I think we really set the tone for the foundational work of creating a high-performance culture, a high-performance environment. And it all comes back to leadership and creating that environment. Dr. Cote talked about transformational leadership, transformational coaching. And that's the whole concept of creating leaders, giving them input, letting them decide how they're going to move forward with some safe and well-placed parameters. You can apply that to parenting, coaching, teaching, wherever you're at. It's such a powerful thing. And then the concept of the personal assets framework, talking about the setting that you create, the activities that are involved, and maybe most importantly, and something that we really need to expand on as we look at this whole massive concept of organizational and team performance, relationships. That's something that hasn't come up that often when we start talking about what's important. You know, we're hearing words like, culture, chemistry, environment for certain. We're talking about the individual and the person. And inside of that world, we're talking about character and approach and personalities. But relationships is something that really hasn't been talked about in the research or even in our conversation so far. If you go back to show number one, of our organizational and team performance uh, series with Joan Ryan, when we talked about her new book, Intangibles. If you go back to the essence of that book, it is all about relationships. But there's so much that goes on around that to make an organization work that we really do need to paint that full and well-rounded picture. Just absolutely fantastic stuff. Leadership behaviors is another thing that Dr. Cote mentioned. And it's not just what we coach and what we talk about. It's how we talk about it. How do we frame up our feedback or our coaching guidance? If it's framed up the right way, it can be all powerful or it can actually be derogatory and edgy and really lower and hamper the, the, the outcomes that we're looking for. So 
Just a fantastic conversation with Dr. Cote. Next week, listen, Dr. Jacques Delaire will join us of Performance Prime. And if there's one thing we know about Dr. Jacques Delaire, he has honed in on strategies and systems you can use to focus your efforts. And one of the things that Dr. Delaire talks about all the time is this fascination we have with results. If we're focusing on the results, we can't possibly be executing what we're supposed to be doing at the highest level. So this whole trap of focusing on results is exactly that. It's a trap and it's not going to help you out. So we're going to talk to him about his performance equation. We're going to talk about the ACT model. And we're going to talk to him about how you can literally eliminate stress and anxiety in almost everything you do. And it has more to do with how you frame things up and how you approach things than actually eliminating and making sure there's no stress because there's always going to be stress. As a matter of fact, we need stress. We want stress, but we want it in the right context in order to help us move forward. And then the following week after that, we're going to continue our three-part series on organizational and team performance with another discussion that I'm really looking forward to. We're going to talk with performance coach Phil Toll, who is one of the people accredited with keeping Metallica together when they went through that bad patch in the early 2000s. They literally were falling apart. They just about disbanded and they brought in performance coach Phil Toll. We're going to talk about the strategies he used to help Metallica and how he's using those strategies to help organizations, athletes, musicians, and how they can help you and me as well. I can't wait for that conversation. All right. So we've got a big couple weeks coming up. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your teammates, tell your coworkers, Tell your students, because these conversations can be, and I'm sure they're going to be, transformational. I know today's conversation, boy, oh boy, I'm walking away with a lot to think about here. And there's much, much more of that to come here on Crush Performance. All right, we are out of time. Get out there. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. This is a Rock Stops Here with Rock Riley Quick Fix on Radio Influence. All right, back from Indianapolis, back from the NFL Combine. What an experience. What an experience being in downtown Indy. Let me get to my guest, and then I'll tell you some of the behind-the-scenes stories. And I also got a one that's going to blow your mind, especially if you live in Florida or you have lived in Florida. But let me welcome in my guest. He really has made it to the top. I'm talking about Chris Sims, the former NFL quarterback, the University of Texas Longhorns, the New Jersey native, the son of Phil Sims. This is mostly on life after football, although I had to ask him, about that day at Raymond James Stadium when he was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback. And, oh, my God, his he got hit. It was his spleen. There was internal bleeding. And he almost didn't make it. And I had to ask about that. Still, like, the, you know, you have those, like, probably four or five days in your life, right, where you think about, like, man, that changed my life forever. It, it can almost get me emotional. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I mean, I was the, they came into the room and told my wife to say bye to me because they weren't sure. Right. They weren't sure. It was 50, 50. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I'm proud of it to a degree. Uh, of course I wish it didn't happen. Right. Um, but you know, maybe I, you know, sometimes I, I'm a self-evaluator. I look at it too and go, man, there was things in my life at that time that I wasn't living the right way either. And maybe that was karma kind of saying, Hey, you better slow your freaking roll down here a little bit. Uh, so maybe I deserved it. I get that. We all get challenges in life, right? You got to take them as they come and, and fight through it. And, you know, at the end of the day, 
I have way too many things to be happy that I've been blessed with. I mean, I, come on. I grew up being the son of Phil Sims and all that. So I'm very grateful for it. It, it hurts me as I get emotional here again. It's just that I love Tampa. I love playing for him. So that hurt. The Rock stops here with longtime radio and TV personality. Rock Riley is found anywhere you find podcasts and radioinfluence.com.